Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. This is already our fourth sermon in this new series out of the book of Nehemiah, a series that we've titled Building for the Future. And, and we've seen a few things already with respect to being that builder. And, and last week specifically, we learned that it starts by seeking the Lord, Lord first. And we looked at the end of chapter 1 and that prayer of, of Nehemiah. And we used that prayer, the first of, of 12 prayers that, that we see in this book, as a model for how we ought to approach the Lord in, in times like this. When, when we are looking in our lives and in our roles to build for the future, in our homes and in this church. And what we talked about last week is in those times we should acknowledge his worthiness, we should accept our own wrong, we should affirm his word and, and pray it back to him, and then just ask him the way that we need to go and ask him to pave that way for us. And I think that provides a good template for us as we begin praying about being a Nehemiah in our life, being the right man or the right, right woman in the right place at the right time. And today we're going to continue that theme of prayer, but we're, we're going to see what else we should be doing while we are praying, how we should be partnering with God in prayer. That is the title of today's message. Because here's the thing about these types of situations that we're, we're, we're talking about, building for the future, and, and these types of prayers. If we're wanting to, to really make a difference in our homes and, and in the life of this church and, and, and wherever God has us, if we, if we want to build for the future, that doesn't happen overnight. All right, that's a process. That takes some time of God working in and, and through us. So we need to obviously be praying about that. We need to be praying about God's leading in that. But that's not all. There are some other things that we need to be doing while we're waiting for God to bring everything to fruition. And Nehemiah knew this, and he knew what to do. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. Now, in order to, to understand, to fully understand everything that, that we're going to look at today... You have to remember the context, and we've gone over it many times every week, but I need you to remember the context. We saw in chapter 1 that Nehemiah received discouraging news from Jerusalem. The wall was torn down, the gates were burned, and the people of God were living among the chaos and the ruin in their community. And that upset Nehemiah because he knew that in spite of his comfortable life in the palace there in Persia, he had a responsibility to help his fellow Jews, because he had made God's burden his burden. And the truth is, there, there are times in our lives where it seems we, too, are surrounded by trouble. Or maybe it's, it's, it's those we love, that are, they are surrounded by trouble, and we're burdened to help. And if that's you, I want you to be encouraged today by Nehemiah's uh, example. Surrounded by a situation that was bad, one that burdened him, he chose not to give up, he chose not to look away, not to just stay in his own comfort in the palace, but instead he chose to pray. And that should remind us that even when things are really bad, that's not the time to give up, because there is never nothing we can do. There's never nothing we can do because we can always pray. 
So Nehemiah began to do just that because he had learned some things from Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon. And he had learned that God interacts with people that pray passionately, with fervency, and desperately dependent upon him. Not people who pray professionally, but urgently. Not people who pray for performance, but in earnestness. Not people who pray superficial prayers, but personal prayers, praying like they know God is listening. 2 Chronicles 16.9, popular verse, says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And anyone whose heart is perfect toward the Lord, it is because of the relationship they have built with him. And that relationship is built through an intimacy that cannot occur without prayer. Because of the Psalms, we have more recorded prayers from David than any other person in the Bible. And while David certainly had his share of flaws, he had the right heart. He had a heart that was perfect towards the Lord. In Acts 13.22, we read this. It says, and we, when he, he had removed him, he's speaking of Saul there, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And when you look at David's life and you study David's life, you cannot separate David's heart from his prayer life. And listen, the movement of the Spirit of God in, in, in the Bible, as you see in the Bible, and even what you see in human history, has always been preceded by a plea. It's always involved the people of God praying. God is always looking for someone to stand in the gap. That's what 2 Chronicles 16.9 says. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 22 also. Or Ezekiel chapter 31. Somebody that will raise up a standard for people to rally to. Somebody that will raise the bar and help turn the tide. God raised up Nehemiah and gave him a burden. But before God raised him up and used him in the mission... Nehemiah first put himself down where he could start this war on his knees. And he led by going lower. And again, we, we see that same thing in David because you, you can't separate David's heart from his prayer life. In Psalm 86 verse 1, David says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. And David asked God to bow down because he had put himself in a lowly position. And I think that's where most fervent prayers start. We saw in Nehemiah 1.4 that he sat down and wept and prayed. And we looked at the details of that prayer last week. But you do need to understand that that, that prayer that we looked at at the end of chapter 1 is a prayer that Nehemiah kept praying. This wasn't a one-time deal. This wasn't a one-time prayer. And we know that because Nehemiah said so. In, in chapter 1 verse 6 he said, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and, and, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house of sin. He was praying this prayer all the time. He said, day and night. 
But while he was praying, he also got back up and went back to work. And when we get to chapter 2, we get to see what he was doing and the character that he was exhibiting while he was waiting on the Lord. And that is going to give us some keys in how we are to partner with God in prayer. At least while we are waiting for him to answer and waiting for clear direction in how we are to build in the various roles that we have in our lives. So let's look at it together and see what we can learn from Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertained to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains, captains of the army and the horsemen with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard, it, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. There was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today so thankful uh, for who you are. We, we do want to acknowledge your worthiness uh, in our lives. And, and, and Lord, we're so thankful for your word. I pray that you use it in our lives this morning. We, we, we know, we confess and admit that you have something to say and something to teach each and every one of us this morning. Your word is a living, powerful book. And Lord, it, 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 you want to use it to change us and mold us into your image. So I pray that your Holy Spirit does that work this morning. Lord, I pray that you remove my flesh and Lord, that your spirit speaks clearly and authoritatively. Uh, through your word. And I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it is honoring and that it is glorifying to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So how do we partner with God in prayer? What is it that we need to be doing while we're praying? So we're going to learn a, a couple important attributes from Nehemiah. And then we're going to see one thing that God does in response when, when we show those same attributes that Nehemiah did. So the first key in partnering with God in prayer is understanding that prayer and patience go hand in hand. Prayer and patience go hand in hand. Look back at verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Okay, so, so here's what you, this is actually a very simple point, but, but here's what you need to get out of this. 
Nehemiah 1.1, the very first verse of this book, opens in the month Kislu, which we described as that late November, December time frame. But Nehemiah 2.1 opens in the month of Nisan. And Nisan is late March, April time frame. So four months have elapsed here. So as chapter 2 opens, Nehemiah has no indication yet if his prayer is going to be answered. Because do you remember Nehemiah's request in in chapter 1, in verse 11, in that last verse of chapter 1, he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, speaking of the king, for I was the king's cupbearer. You see, when Nehemiah prayed that prayer four months earlier, His prayer was, God, grant me favor in front of the king this day. He wanted mercy in the sight of the king today. And here we are, four months later. So at this point, he just has faith. And listen, you know just as well as I do that waiting on God isn't necessarily our favorite pastime. And that's because for most of us, Patience isn't our strongest virtue. You see, most of us want to be in control. And we don't like it when we're not. But in response to that position, all I know to say to you is what Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, verses 25 and 26. He said, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And I don't know exactly what happened in those four months and, you know, what Nehemiah was dealing with and what he viewed as open doors or not. But, but that's what I do know is that he was waiting for God to open the door, which we're going to see him do in a minute. But this concept of being patient and waiting on the Lord is found all throughout your Bible. Even when, like Nehemiah, it involves something that God promised. Now, again... Remember, with God's promises, nearly all of them come with conditions. And so God's not going to fulfill his end of the promise till we fulfill ours when those conditions are, are, are a part of the deal. And so he's waiting to see what we're going to do. But you see this all throughout Scripture. So let me just give you a few examples. Abraham waited 25 years from the time God promised him a seed until Isaac was born. Joseph waited some 13 years before his dreams came to fruition, with great tribulation and suffering occurring in the meantime. Moses waited 40 years in the desert before God called him to lead his people out of Egypt. David waited 14 years from his anointing to be king until he actually became king. Even Jesus, he he waited 30 years before he started his public ministry. And yet, and I think this is on your outline sheet, we think God needs to answer all of our prayers now. And the problem with that is sometimes we allow that to to move us into this line of thinking. We think that since God hasn't answered our prayers, he must not care. Come on. God knows what we need and when we need it. 
Hebrews 6, verses 10 through 12 tells us, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name. Listen, listen to these words. In that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, the men and women that God has used throughout history as they were trusting in God's promises have exhibited both faith and patience in him. And let me be honest with you, when it, when it comes to Christians today, or, or let me even just talk about the Christians I know, so you and me. When it comes to us, and God using us or not using us, I don't necessarily think that faith is our problem. Now, it is for some of us, and it is at some times. I'm making a general overall assumption. But I think generally, we have faith in God. We have faith in this book. But I do think we struggle with patience. And really understanding the biblical concept of what patience means and why it's so important. And I say that because when it comes to dealing with broken down situations, again, these things most of the time don't change overnight. And God's taking us through a process because he's trying to work on us just as much as he's trying to fix the situation. And he's trying to make sure that he's the one that gets glory out of it. And this takes some time, and we, we got to struggle through it. But, but God's doing something. The Bible lays out a very clear path for us in these times when we're dealing with tribulation, when we're in a broken down situation. There is a clear path that God shows. It's found in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And it says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why? Because we know something, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And this is allowing the broken down parts of your life to work for his glory. And it starts with patience. So you have enough faith in God to keep praying and to keep trusting, even when it doesn't seem to be worth it. And you have enough faith in God to not take matters into your own hands and in your own timing. So you endure and you forbear and you seek God. Because patience leads to experience. Let me give you a good cross-reference that gives the word experience a biblical definition. That's Romans 15.4. And that verse says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So you're smart enough to see that this is the same pattern as Romans 5, 4, but experience is switched for the comfort of the scriptures, which is exactly how you gain experience, at least the only experience that really matters. So when you're dealing with a burden, you go to the Lord and you wait on him, but in the meantime, you gain comfort from what the word of God has to say. So you look up his promises and you rest in them. And they will encourage you to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep praying. And out of that comes hope. A hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for an eternal weight of glory. A hope based on the fact that one day soon all will be fixed and all will be rebuilt. 
And even if that doesn't happen on this earth, it will happen. So based on that, can I tell you that any hope that is not based on your patience and God's comfort through his word is a lie. And lies lead to death because you see there's another path that we can choose in these same times. So God gives us two options. We all have free will. That's something you, else you see all throughout scripture. And in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, 12 through 15, we see another path, and I'm going to show you how these relate. James 1 verse 12 said, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Okay, so we're in the same context. We're in temptation, we're in trials, we're in broken down areas. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust." And enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Okay, so this is the this is the opposite pattern. So, if Romans five is the path to hope, so to speak, James one is the path to death. James said, "Blessed is the man that endureth temptation." And do you know what a, another synonym for endure is? It means be patient. You endure, you wait, you forbear. But if you're not patient, that temptation, that struggle, even something that may be a good thing, like a burden, but you're not waiting on the Lord, it will lead to the wrong conclusion and lead you in the wrong direction. Because instead of patience, experience, hope, here we have lust, sin, death. What a contrast. And the key is the correlation and the choice between the first word in each list, patience or lust. And we don't usually think of those two words as being opposite of each other. But in this context, they are. They are the opposite of each other because lust is about the temporal and patience is about the eternal Patience is about the hope that you have in Christ, that he is going to lead you and open doors for you to rebuild, that he's going to be true to his word. We talked about that last week. But listen, lust is about now. What is it that I want right now? Lust is always, by the way, in any definition of the word lust, it's always about that. What do I want right now. It's about you. It's about your will. It's about your desires. And if you let that lust take root, it will bring forth sin, and sin always leads to death. Romans 6.23, all sorts of verses in your Bible. Now, if you're saved, that death isn't hell for you. You're eternally secure in Christ. But let me tell you what will die, that godly burden. And the ability for God to use you in, in the life of your family and in this church. And the decision to make is yours. Lust or patience. Now or eternity. You or him. And listen, as you study the word, these are patterns you see all throughout scripture. So, so just let me give you a couple examples. Let me give you one example of each. So let's do the path of death first. 
We see this example in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 6. This is, what, this is the, the Israelites uh, in the wilderness. And, and they, the Israelites, journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to, to compass the land of Edom. And look at this. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. All right, it was a hard. It was a hard way. And so they become discouraged in that moment. So they have a decision to make. Are they going to wait on the Lord and see the Lord fulfill his promises and take them into the land? Or are they going to want something that, that fixes their situation now? What are they going to do? Verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. That's sin. So lust, it conceived sin. Wherefore ye have brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They're saying, why did you even do this? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread, the manna. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Lust, sin, death. But with the path to hope, I want you to think about Jesus. And there's, again, we could use any, a, a number of examples. But I want to use Jesus in the, in, as he comes out of his 40 days of fasting in the, in the, in the wilderness. So we see that, in, that story in, in, in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. And it says he was led up in the spirit, led up in the spirit to, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You guys remember that story, right? So I want you to think about, we're not going to take the time to go through all the verses, but I want you to think about what Jesus did. The devil tempted him with food after he had just fasted. He tempted him with exaltation, and he tempted him with kingship. But what did Jesus show? He, he had a decision to make. Fulfill his lust now and get something that he wanted now or show patience. And Jesus showed patience. And do you know why? Because it wasn't the right time. Everything that the devil tempted Jesus with was rightfully his. And, and, and we don't have the time to do it, but I could point you to Scripture to every single one of those Jesus is going to have. But not then. It was for the future. And the devil knew that if Jesus would claim all that now in his lust, that he would win. But Jesus didn't fall for it. He didn't need the temporal. He knew what was at stake. And he knew that it was worth it all. He was, knew that it was worth patience over lust. And then how did he show his patience? Through experience as he quoted scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. He showed that experience from the, the scripture that I'm sure had been a comfort to him when he was fasting those 40 days and 40 nights. And he had hid it in his heart and he relied on that experience. And when it was over, in Matthew 4.11, the Bible says the devil left and angels came and ministered to him. That's hope. And truly, examples like this are all over the Bible. Patience is such an important thing to understand and be able to live. I have seen, we have seen 
time after time after time. People are faced with a decision. And they're not sure exactly what to go, and it may be a confusing time, whatever it is. And they just go. They just make a decision. In their haste, in, in, in their pain, what they're feeling now. What can I do to make me feel better now? That's lust. Oh, God wants us to show patience. And then as we get in his word, he'll give us the experience we need to survive that time. And we'll land in hope. Patience is this important. And listen, because in this context... It's waiting on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord does not mean doing nothing. I mean, I I want you to, when I say waiting on the Lord, like Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, waiting on the Lord or biblical patience results in renewed strength and running and walking. And this is on your outline sheet. It leads to activity, not inactivity. So waiting on the Lord, think of it in terms of a waiter at a restaurant, a server. That's what waiting on the Lord means. And that brings us to our second key in partnering with God in prayer. And that is prayer and preparation go hand in hand. Prayer and preparation go hand in hand. Now, this section of of the passage is interesting, and it covers a lot of ground that that we don't have time to go through, but there are are some specific and important things that I want you to catch with respect to being prepared when it's time, when God starts to move and God starts to put things in motion. And, And interestingly enough, it starts with Nehemiah's countenance. Look at verse 2. It says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. So he's like, so Nehemiah comes in, he can't help it. His sadness from, from everything that's going on in Jerusalem shows on his face. And, and the king says, Listen, I know you're not sick, so, you know, what's going on? Some, something's happening here. And verse 3, And said unto the king, Then I was very sore afraid, and, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Okay, again, you know the story. You, you've, you've been with us. Nehemiah has been praying for four months. Obviously, his heart is still deeply troubled over the state of Jerusalem. But because he was preparing during the waiting period, he, he was never troubled to the point of despair or despondency. He'd still been working his job every day, even this day, where his countenance was sad. Now, the king noticed that Nehemiah was sad, said he had never before been like this in, this, in these entire four months. And it made Nehemiah scared, said he was sore afraid. And that's because it wasn't exactly a good thing for the king to find his cupbearer sad. Kings in those days were sheltered from anything that might bring them unhappiness. You see an example of this in Esther chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate 
for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. That just wasn't allowed. They didn't allow people around the king that, that was going to have a negative vibe. Everything had to be positive around the king. So on what was Nehemiah's worst day, since he had heard the news about Jerusalem, and I say that it was his worst day because verse 1 said he had never been like this before the king. So he was, he was visibly sad, and after the king noticed, he was afraid, even for his life. So he's sad. It's, it's the day that this is all kind of coming out, at least on his face. So he's sad. The king notices. Now he's sad and afraid because <laughs> he's not sure what the king's gonna, how the king's going to respond, what the king's going to do. And it was on that day that God decided to turn things around. And I point that out, and this is an interesting, you've got you to stay with me. This is an interesting take on this. But I want you to know that in order to be prepared for the Lord to use you, you cannot let your emotions drive your actions. You cannot be driven and led by your feelings and maintain a proper focus on the Lord and his word. Because if you're driven and led by your feelings, you're not going to be prepared for the moment. You see, Nehemiah was sad, and he was scared. And sometimes in life, that's unavoidable. We all know that. Life is hard at times, and we all deal with certain things. And sometimes we're happy, but sometimes we're not. And sometimes we're, we're scared, and sometimes we're sad. But here's the thing with Nehemiah. In, while he was dealing with those emotions, he wasn't making rash decisions because of them. He was just doing what he always did, serving the king and trusting the Lord. And emotions are a funny thing, and people process them different ways. But what I want you to understand about emotions is, is that, one, they're God-given, and two, God uses them to alert you to various spiritual conditions, both good and bad. That's how God uses them in our life. So they're, they're kind of like the indicator lights on your car. Right? If you have a fairly new car, you probably have a light somewhere that, that will blink when there's a car next to you in your blind spot. Blind spot. Right? Maybe it's on your, on your side mirror or whatever. They drive me a little crazy, to be honest with you, because they're always just flashing. I'm like, you know, but, but, so, but they're there. They're there to alert you to something. Well, listen, spiritually, we have blind spots as well. And so our emotions can help us in those situations. So just like those indicator lights, they are not there to tell you what to do or what not to do. They're just making you aware that danger is nearby. Or they're letting you know that all is clear. Either way, they're just giving you information. Okay, that is their role. And the lesson we get from Nehemiah is that he wasn't ruled by his emotions. Even though he was feeling them, that's not what he was using as his guide. He understood Proverbs 28, verse 26. It says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. And we know that wisdom or walking wisely comes from God's word alone. I could give you all sorts of verses, but 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
So trust in God's word. Don't, don't trust in your feelings. Let God's word be what drives you, even if your feelings don't match. Sometimes they do. Sometimes it's, everything is good. Sometimes our spiritual life is good, and we feel that. Our emotions, we're happy, we have joy, we experience that. Sometimes they match. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes our feelings are saying one thing, but God's word is saying something else. Trust in God's word. And then you also need to understand that in order to be prepared for the Lord to use you, and, and this is as basic as can be. We're not talking brain surgery here, but this is point number two. When the door opens, you must be ready to give an answer. Because that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He didn't get caught up in his, motion, in his emotions and not know what to say. The king asked, and even though Nehemiah was sad and afraid, he was ready to answer. And that's part of preparation. He had thought about this day and this conversation for four months. Look at verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So that's one of those emergency prayers, right? We talked about, you know, we looked at that model prayer last week and said, you know, that, this is a good model prayer for times like this. But there's all sorts of prayers in the Bible. And sometimes, and I, I gave you the example of David in the Psalms and, and Peter in Matthew 14, when he's walking on the water and he starts to drown and he just says, Lord, save me. This is one of those. So I prayed to the God of heaven. It was an emergency prayer. And, but then he keeps going. He prays and he keeps talking. Verse 5, and I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. And, and we don't have time to go into all this, but please note the parentheses in verse 6. It says the queen was sitting by him. And there's obviously a reason for this inclusion. It could be as simple as, you know, our, our, our wives ha have a lot of influence on us. And, and you know, his, maybe that was his queen and, and she was sitting there and listening as well. But here's what I actually think, and, and I don't know that you can prove this in Scripture, but I think the reason why God put that in there is because that queen was Esther. And, and Esther would have had, it wouldn't have been the king's wife. She would have just still been alive. Esther was written before the book of Nehemiah. And Esther would have had an influence over the king, and she obviously would have had an interest in the restoration of Jerusalem. And she would have been older, but if you do the math, she certainly could have been alive. So that's just something of note. God put that in there for some reason. And then verse 7, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter in. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see, Nehemiah has thought it all through. He knew exactly what he wanted to say, and he, and he knew exactly what he needed to say. And Nehemiah's answer to the king boiled down to two basic requests. 
Send me and give me. So he says, I want to go back. I want to go back to Jerusalem. Can you send me there? And he says, and oh, by the way, can you pay for it? <laughs> you, think you, could, you think you could do that too? So send me and give me. And why does it boil down into those two requests? Because he knew that the king had authority, and he knew that the king had wealth. So he had prepared. He had planned. And he didn't even mention the name of the city. You see, he doesn't even say Jerusalem. Because the name Jerusalem could have turned the king's thoughts to, to national security, to a political agenda that Jews still weren't viewed favorably. So instead, he appealed to the king's emotions and traditions as he talked about honoring the burial place of his fathers. That was a culturally relevant appeal. And all this points to Nehemiah's preparation. He had thought it through. He had carefully planned. And listen, that is, that is something God is looking for us in us as well. If you're trying to build something for Jesus... In your life, in your home, in this church, you need to be prepared. So when that door opens, you can move. So for example, when it comes to the people in your life that need to hear about Jesus, if they were to come to you today with questions, would you have answers? Or when you decide to be the right man or the right woman for your family, and you make some decisions that moves you in a different direction than which you've, which you've been going, are you ready to give them the answers they might have? So, for example, if your kids ask, why are we going to Wednesday nights now? I don't even know anybody in the youth group. Have you prepared yourself to answer that question? 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. So while you are praying, get prepared. Because then you pave the way for God to answer. He's, he's always ready. Many times he's just waiting for you to get ready. And, and I love the way verse 8 ends. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So that is good right there. And that's a verse that some of you need this morning. You need the good hand of God upon you. It's like Nehemiah had upon him. But, but the question I have for you and, and where I want to land this point is would you be ready if God looked at your prayers and said, permission granted, would you be ready? Because here's the truth. Often it's the case that we say that we are waiting on God, but in reality, he is waiting on us. For too many of you, if God gave you the answer, you wouldn't be able to do anything with it because you're not ready and you're not really expecting the answer. And you must know that for many of the problems that you have in your life, God has already, already granted permission. You just haven't done anything with it yet because you're not prepared to leave where you're at. And you don't have the burden yet. And you're comfortable where you're at. And you haven't looked out and looked around and allowed yourself to feel uncomfortable in what you see. 
Because when it comes to serving the Lord and building the future for his glory, you already have permission to live without fear and to fight without surrender and to pray without worry and to work without frustration and to hope without doubt and to believe without anxiety and to wait without disappointment and to suffer without despair. You have permission to be patient in the pain. And trust providence in his purpose and work to build for the future. But you have to be ready. But when you are ready and you're holding up your end of the deal, look out because then God can take over. And that brings us to our third key in partnering with God in prayer. And that is prayer and power go hand in hand. And this is God's response. So the first two things are on us understanding patience and showing patience versus lust and understanding, having an eternal mindset, an eternal viewpoint and waiting on the Lord. And then as we wait, we're preparing. We're getting ready and we're spending time in God's word and we're having the answers. We're making decisions. And when God opens the door, we know that we're ready to have those discussions and we're ready to talk. And when we get to that spot, Well, this is God's response. This is God's response to your patience and preparation. Look at verse 9. Then I came to the governors, and it ends in verse 8 with God's good hand upon him. In verse 9, then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. The king gave them to him. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sambal, the Horonite, Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So now in verse 9, Nehemiah received everything he asked for in verses 7 and 8. Why? Because the king's written word contained all the provision. We're going to get there in a second. All Nehemiah needed was what the king had written to get everything he wanted. Because the king had power. And when God's power is with you, And it's with you in his written word, by the way. You can depend on three things. There are three things that we see in these verses that you can just pretty much put a lock on. It's a guarantee. So when you have God's power, when you understand patience, and you have prepared, and you're moving in God's plan, here's what you have. You have authority. That's That's one. You have authority. You are surrounded by an army. You have some protectors. But number three, you'll also face some adversaries. You can pretty much count on that anytime. You see a great example of this in 2 Kings chapter 6. And this is a, a passage that you see God's power. And these same three things go along with it. It's the story of Elisha and his servant. The, the Syrians are out to, to kill Elisha. The, the, the Syrian king had, had sent the army after him. And it comes to a place where things look bad. And Elisha's servant is concerned. So pick up the story of verse 15. Look at what happens. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And a servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He's like, the, the Syrian army is surrounding them. And he sees this, and he's like, what in the world are we going to do here? Like, there's no way we're getting out of this. 
But look at how Elisha answers. Verse 16, and he, that's Elisha, answered, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses, of chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And in that story, Elisha had authority. He was surrounded by a spiritual army. And when we are in God's plan and God's path, we can count on that as well. But there were adversaries. But because Elisha was prepared and he was in the right place for the Lord, he had the Lord's power. You can't claim God's power if you're not holding up your end of the deal. But Nehemiah did as well because the words of the king were his authority. He was traveling with the king's letters. And listen, we too travel with the king's letters. It's called the Holy Bible. And in the King James Version, in 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and my letter is in the King James Version. And it says in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and in their righteousness is of, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And the letter that I have, it's, it's found in the King James Version. And in Romans 8.28 it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I don't know about you, but I have the king's letters. And I have no doubt about that. I'm convinced. I'm sold. I've done the research. I've prepared. And I know that I have the king's letters right here in this holy Bible, King James authorized version. I have it. And with that comes power. And with that comes authority. Those promises provide you that power, and because of that power, you have God's authority, and you have an army. We see in Nehemiah that the king sent captains of the army and horsemen with Nehemiah. But know that you're going to face some adversaries. Nehemiah's were, were Sam Ballot and Tobiah. And we're going to learn a lot about these guys in the weeks to come. But here is what I need you to see today. Those two guys were only concerned because Nehemiah was seeking the welfare of the children of Israel. That's what it says. That they were concerned, they were concerned that someone was seeking the welfare of the children of Israel. He was they were concerned that Nehemiah was building for the future. That's what our enemy doesn't like. It involved investing in others and bringing your family and your friends along with you and serving the Lord. That's what he doesn't like. You see, our enemy isn't so much worried about you learning the Bible in and of itself. Filling yourself with, with knowledge can actually benefit his cause because according to 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge is necessary, but when you're gaining knowledge for knowledge's sake, it can ultimately lead to pride. 
And so he's not concerned about that. Listen, the devil knows the Bible. He showed that in Genesis chapter 3. He showed that in Matthew chapter 4. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So he's not so concerned with you knowing the Bible or even believing the Bible. But once you take what you know and what you believe and you start investing that into someone else, into your family and into your friends and in ministry through this church, that's when you get his attention. And that's when he'll start fighting. And so that's when you need the power of God. And you get it through prayer, patience, and preparation. That's what Nehemiah shows us. So practice some patience. Be willing to actively wait on the Lord while you are praying about building for the future. And start preparing. Get ready today. Are you ready to give an answer? Do you know what God's promises are? If God grants permission to your, your request, are you ready to move? Because if you are, you can experience God's powers because you undoubtedly have God's letters. And you can see him answer prayer after prayer in your life for his own glory. That's the story of Nehemiah. And that could be your story too. But you've got to want it. I've asked you this every week. You are in the right place at the right time. Will you be the right man or the right woman for the Lord? So let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as we close out this morning, I want you to just take a personal look at yourself and a personal look at your prayer life. Are you praying for God to do big things in your life and through your family? Are you expecting him to answer? Because there's power available. You have it in this book but you got to be prepared. If you're willing to build for him and willing to partner with him in prayer, and you're prepared, he will provide the power. And if you're not doing that, will you repent and get right with him this morning? Or maybe you're out there today and you don't know the Lord is your Savior, and you've never accepted his sacrifice for you, and you're not saved. If that's you, I want to motivate and persuade you to make him your personal Savior today. Listen, he is, a, he is a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Savior to me, but is he a wonderful Savior to you? Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe. You see, his offer of salvation, it's unto all. It's available to everyone. But it's only upon them that believe. So there's no such thing as limited atonement, but there is limited salvation. God's offer of salvation is for everyone, but you don't get it if you don't accept it. And what that means is that God's salvation is only limited by one thing and one thing alone, and that's you. Your unwillingness to take it. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, In the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Take of the water of life and drink it freely. And if you haven't done so, you should do that today. And if you do that, if you put your trust in him today, you will come to understand how wonderful of a Savior he really is. And you can accept Christ as your Savior and, and, and be saved right now by just praying to him, letting him know that you're a sinner and asking him to come into your heart and into your life and save you, placing your faith in him. And he'll do it just like that. And if you have questions about that, please come forward during the final song that we're getting ready to sing. Because we'll be down here. We'll, we'll be singing too, but we'll, take, we'll stop because we want to talk to you and we want to help you. There's nothing we'd rather do than help you work through what it means to become a child of God.
But if you are already saved, like most of you in here, let's get to work. Let's pray for God to work in our homes and in this church, and let's build a future for his glory. Dear Heavenly Father, thank, thank you so much for this story of Nehemiah. Thank you for what you're teaching us through it. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in here, Lord, that, that we, all of us, individually would look at our own lives and ask what, what, you, what you need for us to do, how we need to be patient, and how we need to prepare as we're praying for you, for you to just come through and for you to, to, to provide the power that you have available to all of us. And Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit is con convicting them right now of their need for a Savior this morning. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you do. We, we, we love you so much, and we, we're thankful for everything you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.